This is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I'm your host, Davey Crockett. Thanks. Thanks for coming. Get in the hole! This is episode 22. This is the first part of multiple episodes telling the history of crossing America on foot by walking or running. This episode will share what inspired these trans-American walks and runs to get started. Let's get right to it. Wake me when the show starts. It's already been on a while. Uh, Wake me when it's over. On May 10th, 2019, America will celebrate the 150th anniversary of the completion of the Transcontinental Railroad in 1869 that was recognized with a Golden Spike Ceremony at Promontory Point, Utah. For more than 150 years, adventurers desired to travel across the American continent by various means, horse, wagon, train, automobile, and even on foot in one go. With this celebration coming up, it seemed appropriate to recognize some historic accomplishments walking or running across the American continent. The most notable early transcontinental walk across America was accomplished by the famous pedestrian Edward Payson Weston in 1909. Weston accomplished the transcontinental walk at the age of 70. That was just six years after the first two men drove an automobile across America from San Francisco to New York in 63 days. By the time Weston began his famed walk, the fastest known time driving across the continent had been lowered to 15 days, 2 hours, and 10 minutes. A train had accomplished it in 71 hours, 27 minutes. Weston would capture the attention of the country and the world when he accomplished it on foot in 1909. That story will be covered in part two. However, Weston first got the idea back in 1869 when a bestseller book was being read about a young man who years before had walked across South America. Weston likely got the idea to walk across North America from the adventure that took place in 1855. Few have heard this story. It needs to have a place in ultra-running history because it inspired the pedestrian world and planted in the minds of many to do cross-continent walks and runs in the future. Not only would runners run across America, but they would go across Australia, New Zealand, Europe, Canada, Asia, the Soviet Union, the length of Great Britain, Ireland, and South America. But it seemed to all start with a young 17-year-old American adventurer in 1855. Here is his story. Nathaniel Holmes Bishop was born to a wealthy family on March 23, 1827 in the city of Medford, Massachusetts near Boston. As a youth, he had a restless, adventuresome spirit at 17 years old and vowed that he would walk across South America from Argentina to Chile, climbing over the Andes. With only $45 in his pocket, he hired on as crew on a roach-infested merchant ship that was heading for Buenos Aires, Argentina. He endured weeks of seasickness but endured tolerably familiar with the duties of life at sea, growing strong and hardy. 
For three weeks, the rainy season arrived, and he was wet to the skin as clothes, bedding, everything was saturated from the effects of a leaky deck. He arrived in South America during the Pampero hurricane season and witnessed tragedy as other vessels were capsized and sailors were drowned. At Buenos Aires, Bishop was still obliged to his mariner duties and remained on the ship for an entire month waiting for orders that he could be set free. Finally, on February 20th, 1855, he was discharged and was able to go ashore and went to the American consulate. The consul thought he was crazy to undertake a walk of about a thousand miles across the continent alone, especially because he was unable to speak Spanish. However, he furnished me the necessary papers of protection, together with letters of introduction to various persons in the interior. Bishop would first have to face the vast pompous, which are vast plains, including places without trees. He learned that the realistic way to cross the pompous on foot was to hitch up with a caravan of merchants. Otherwise, it'd be impossible to obtain food, water, and follow the right trail. This is because after March, the pompous sees very little rain and is filled with wildlife on its grasslands. Bishop learned that a merchant caravan would be starting out during April from Rosario, located about 200 miles to the north, and it would be traveling across the Pampas to Mendoza, a town at the base of the Andes. He wanted to join the company, but he had to wait two weeks for passage on a steamboat to take him to Rosario. While waiting, he met a young man who took him to his home in nearby Uruguay, where he was able to observe the life of the gaucho, or horseman. Bishop met an Irish gentleman who had crossed the pampas recently, giving him a discouraging description. The Irishman described the pampas, quote, The country is more uninteresting than any I ever traveled over in any quarter of the globe. I should divide it into five regions. First, that of thistles, inhabited by owls and piscacas, or rodents. Second, that of grass, where you meet with deer, ostriches, and the screaming horned plover. Third, the region of swamps and morasses, only fit for frogs. Fourth, that of stones and ravines, where I expected every moment to be upset. And last, that of ashes and thorny scrubs, the refuge of the tarantula and giant bugs. Bishop was told that he should give up the idea and return to America. Bishop was undeterred, returning to Buenos Aires and took a 48-hour steamboat ride to Rosario, a city of 8,000 people. He arrived there on March 30, 1855, and was paddled ashore from the steamboat in a log canoe. Bishop still had to wait about a week before the caravan departed. He was able to join the company for $22 payment in advance that included food, hauling his things, and most important, protection. Bishop let the company know that he wanted to cross the pampas on foot. They didn't believe it could be done. The caravan consisted of 14 two-wheeled carts loaded with sugar, iron, and other merchandise pulled by oxen. Also with them were about 20 spare oxen, a dozen mules, and many horses. People in the company told him he should get in a cart, that walking was injurious to the system. 
The company included a cook who he relied on for his meals. He started his transcontinental walk in early April 1855 with the first goal to reach Mendoza. The distance for that segment in those days was said to be 800 miles and typically took the merchants 40 days to travel. But the distance was probably less than 700 miles. It can be driven today by car in about 550 miles. The Pampas are pretty flat, but with some hills to climb over. The route climbs about 8,000 feet and descends about 5,000 feet along the way. Day after day, Bishop walked with the caravan, usually ahead of them as they passed over the plains and through the towns. They met others on the road going to or from Mendoza. One day, a woman in Bishop's caravan got a large splinter in her foot. He played the doctor role and successfully extracted. As I was successful, she seemed overwhelmed with gratitude, and from that time she was almost the only friend that I had among the people of the troop. The Pampas have their own unique beauty. We continued our journey while the sun set in the western heavens below clouds of purple and gray as souvenirs of his company through the bright warm day. At sunset, Bishop could see numerous owls leave their holes for the night in search of food. Night on the plains were cold. At times, Bishop was tormented by mosquitoes and flies and had to roll a blanket around his head to sleep. Mirages were fascinating to Bishop as he walked along. The clearness of the atmosphere gave great effect to the mirages that we constantly beheld around us. Twice we seemed to see large lakes far in advance of our caravan, but they vanished utterly upon our moving near them. On our right, in the distance, the mirage so much resembled the ocean that our carpenter exclaimed, Yulmar, or the sea. What did Bishop do as he walked? He said, I usually had enough to occupy my mind. Sometimes I was studying the habits of birds or insects, at others following with my eyes the movement of a herd of cattle or grazing upon the mirage in the distant horizon, in which our caravan was reflected with wonderful distinctness. Bishop had to learn the etiquette of his company of gauchos at dinner time. Our meals were served with one iron spoon and two calves' horns, split in halves, which were passed around the group, the members of which squatted upon their haunches and freely helped themselves from the kettle. Each member of the company in turn dips his spoon or horn into the center or stew and draws it in a direct line toward him, never allowing it to deviate to the left or right. Being ignorant of this custom, I dipped my horn into the mess at random and fished about in it for some nice bits. My companions regarded this a horrid breach of politeness with scowls and impatience. They declared that Gringles did not know how to eat. Bishop tried to fit in. During a rest, he turned his blanket into a poncho by cutting a hole in the middle and thrusting his head through it. When the gauchos saw my new garment, they shouted in admiration and one or two exclaimed, Gaucho Boston! They reached the town of Rio Cuarto, about 250 miles from their starting point. It was a beautiful town filled with fine whitewashed houses, inhabited by a wealthy class of people, many who owned thousands of cattle that were grazing outside the village. While there, a great commotion arose as an alarm went out that Indians were planning to attack the town. Guards were reinforced by troops sent by the governor. Bishop's company stayed for a day and then continued westward through plains of long grass. 
Water was very hard to find and had to be hauled. Bishop's journey wasn't totally on flat plains. For several days, they needed to cross over high hills, but his physical fitness had increased. He knew that he was always surrounded by dangers from thieves, animals, and the elements, but gained confidence as he went along. Everything was novel and captivating to the fancy. I was at last among a strange people and their habits and modes of life, and many of the incidents that were constantly occurring were full of interest to me. Although my heart was light, I trudged along cheerfully and with courage. However, as they went along, he noticed that the gauchos started to be unfriendly toward him. Their coolness grew more noticeable, and at length I began to fear that we should not part without a collision. He had been warned by the son of the woman friend in the company that a certain man would try to poison him. One morning, when the leader of the caravan, Bishop's protector, was away, Bishop was apparently poisoned by some members of the caravan who didn't like him. After breakfast, he became violently ill and could not move and passed out in the cart. Unfortunately, he had to ride instead of walk for a few days. But once he recovered, he continued his pedestrian journey. After many days and several hundred miles, Bishop was overjoyed with the sight seen ahead of him. Far in the distance, a dim blue light penciled upon the heavens told me that I obtained my first view of the Andes, that mighty range of mountains that traverses two continents and a dozen countries, though known by different names. What emotions were aroused within me as I gazed at the faint streak that seemed floating in the air, for below it all was enveloped in clouds. At the town of Santa Rosa, with the Andes in full view, he started to ask around about the possibility of still going over the mountains into Chile this late in the season. He obtained some good information about the conditions. He met for the first time on his walk others from North America. They were an Olympic circus company that had been traveling and performing for years in various countries of South America. The performers peppered him with questions about news from the United States. Pressing on toward Mendoza, when Bishop reached a crossing of Mendoza River, he decided to take a bath, only his third since starting his journey. The gauchos laughed derisively at the gringo who could not travel 800 miles without washing himself. These disgusting fellows, with one or two exceptions, had not applied water to their skin for more than 40 days and did not intend to cleanse themselves until the troop was close upon Mendoza. As they came closer to the mountains, their fall weather became colder. The wind blew direct from the west and coming from the snowy mountains was very chilly. All night I turned and rolled upon my hide in great discomfort from the cold that benumbed my limbs. Bishop finally arrived at Mendoza, at the base of the Andes. He had covered about 700 miles in an estimated five weeks. However, he was disappointed to learn that the last caravan to Chile had left on the day after his arrival. But later he learned that the troop had barely succeeded in reaching Chile alive. It was May and winter was arriving in the southern hemisphere. For the next 21 days, the Andes were enveloped with clouds and storms. He realized, To have attempted a passage at that time would have been certain death. 
So while he was disappointed, he became resigned that his walk would need to be halted until late spring, when the snowdrifts that blocked the passes had melted. After spending a few weeks in Mendoza, some circus performers persuaded Bishop to join them traveling about 100 miles to the north to the city of San Juan, a city of about 9,000 people. Bishop agreed and traveled by mule train to that city. During the winter, this city stays warm with temperatures into the 70s and is wine country. In the 1850s, large fields of clover surrounded the city. Canals brought water from the San Juan River. As soon as I arrived at San Juan, I made inquiries to parties who were about crossing the mountains, but owing to a most severe snowstorm that set in, the clouds of which were plainly visible from the town, I was forced to the disagreeable necessity of remaining until the snows melted. The people told me that the winter had proved to be the most severe of any season within the last 30 years. Word circulated that an American was in town and Bishop was invited to come to the estate of Don Guillermo, who had been born in North America. Bishop took a job to oversee Don Guillermo's grist mill, which ground wheat to flour. He was given 15 minutes of training and was put in charge of the entire operation. He became very contented in his work. It was a very busy time for mill business. Traveling merchants would frequently sell their goods for wheat and then bring it to the mill. Through the winter, Bishop still longed to get to the mountains. Leaving the dusty atmosphere of the mill, I frequently wandered out into the night air to gaze upon nature by moonlight. The Andes towered above the plains a few miles to the west, while on the east the solid range of the mountains of Cordova, stretching far to the north, gave an additional grandeur to the scene. While I strolled upon the banks of the canal, the mill hummed on as usual. Bishop experienced the very odd Vincente de Vonda, or Vonda winds, that were local to San Juan. In the dead of the winter, these hot winds, thought to be volcanic, would blow from the Andes, bringing huge clouds of dust. Everyone would leave their work and seek refuge in houses. Sickness, including headaches, would result and at times people dropped dead. The winds usually only lasted three to four hours. As spring came, Bishop learned that the northern passes of the Andes were still buried in snow, and a party of eight who were attempting to cross to Chile were frozen to death. At another valley, eleven had fell victim to a fierce snowstorm. Bishop was planning on an early start of his trek, but a man visited him who had just attempted the passage and said, Suddenly, a great temporal came flying from the north and enveloped us for many hours in terrible folds. The snow fell in clouds, and I, of all my party, escaped. My companions are frozen in the drifts, and there they will remain until the melting of the snow. He showed him his frostbitten fingers, cheeks, and nose. Bishop decided to postpone continuing his walk for another month. After a six-month delay, on November 10, 1855, Bishop bid goodbye to his winter friends, returned to Mendoza, and set off towards the Andes, crossing terrible swollen rivers. He took with him a horse as a pack animal, but did ride it as he was crossing raging rivers. One night he stayed overnight in a small, poverty-stricken village with huts, and the women were alarmed that he was traveling alone on foot. At 18 years old, he thought he was too young and asked if his mother knew that he was out there. 
The road ahead became more narrow, rough, and steep. Thunderstorms would roll by. Reaching a pass, he said, A magnificent view rewarded me for the exertion of making the ascent. The rocky grandeur filled me with awe, for I was surrounded by sublime chaos, broken hills, valleys, and barren cliffs of the Sierra. He ascended and crossed high plains. Upon one side of the plain rose several low hills, green with coarse herbage, upon which a small herd of llamas were feeding, as if unconscious of the presence of man. He arrived at Uspata, a town near the Chilean border, at 6,690 feet, and passed by the last house along the road in Argentina. He was informed by the house owner that the road conditions ahead were difficult, and he was advised to stay a few days. But Bishop knew the dangers of delays, so he continued. Soon a caravan driving mules arrived who knew his winter friends from San Juan. They had been on the lookout for Bishop and invited him to travel with them. He accepted. They put shoes on his pack horse to prepare for going over the Andes ahead. The wreckedness of the Andes was spectacular. In some places, the path wound like a thread along the bold front of a precipice. Then it descended to the water and followed its course until it again ascended. As we gazed above, the huge pieces of detached rock seemed ready to fall and crush us. The melting snow had undermined the soil in some places, and slides of earth and stone had fallen and covered up the track. As Bishop walked along the mountainous road, he noticed piles of bones from animals that had died of hunger or fell off cliffs lodged in the rocks. It was truly like going through the valley of death. So numerous were the carcasses and bones. Great condors were seen on the cliffs and circling high in the sky. They were an amazing and graceful sight to see. The difficult high mountain walk thoroughly jaded me, and I needed no narcotic to ensure a sound sleep at nights. His companions cautioned him against walking because of the dangers of inhaling bad air, which could make you sick. Which is what they thought caused altitude sickness. They hit deep snowdrifts near the summit of a stretch of a mountain range called Paramia. Footing was terrible, especially for the animals who sometimes fell into concealed holes. Finally, the main range of the Andes rose above him, glistening in the sun. His caravan leader ordered everyone to drink a concoction of starch water and sugar that was believed to help against the effects of altitude. They then wrapped their faces with cotton handkerchiefs to protect from the sun's rays, but Bishop had failed to bring goggles with him and soon was plagued with painful snow blindness. Bishop walked south of the massive peak Aconcagua, the highest peak in South America that rose 22,841 feet. They pushed on and soon entered Chile, crossing over the Andes spine at 12,500 feet. The snow thawed faster and the mules post-hold badly. At times they came to steep descents. We slid down the drifts in a most exhilarating manner. Getting the mules to also slide was a hard task, but eventually they would sit on the snow and gracefully descend without injury. 
Bishop walked near that mighty Aconcagua River in Chile that roared along the mountainsides and in places was still hidden under frozen snow. But soon their path became easier. After following many windings and experiencing much danger in crossing the river, the dry brown earth was reached, and we looked up to the lofty mountains that shone in the moonlight with great satisfaction for our labors were ended. Civilization soon appeared, and Bishop was impressed that the Chileans in the valley were very energetic and intelligent. They wore short ponchos and had lassos hanging in coils in their saddles. As he went along, farms became more frequent, and the buildings were roofed with red tiles shaded by groves of fruit trees. Bishop bid adios to his faithful pack horse, who was enjoying grazing in an alfalfa field. When I left him, he gave a pleasant whisk of his tail and shake of his ears, apparently thanking me for leaving him so literally in clover. Bishop chose to end his pedestrian journey at Santa Rosa, now called Los Andes, a town about two days walk or 40 miles from the Pacific Ocean. The leader of the mule train insisted that he stay with him at his son's home. He wanted to introduce him to his countrymen and Bishop had a wonderful visit. The next day he was taken to Valparaiso on the coast and he showed his papers to the U.S. Consul. A newspaper in Valparaiso, Chile, reported on November 27, 1885, quote, There arrived here a few days since a young man belonging to Medford, Massachusetts, who has walked across the Pampas and Andes more than a thousand miles unable to speak the language and with an astonishing small amount of money. Bishop was given a kind reception and warm congratulations on the success of his journey. The consul arranged for Bishop a berth on an American vessel that would take him around Cape Horn and back to his home in Massachusetts. In 1868, Bishop published a booklet that was widely read entitled a thousand-mile walk across South America. Most accounts say the bishop took two years to cross South America, but that is not correct. While his personal account doesn't specify exact dates often, it is very clear that he accomplished it all within 1855. He finished on about November 24, 1855. The elapsed time for his walk, including his long six-month winter stop, was about seven and a half months. His total traveling weeks were about seven weeks, or about 50 days, covering about 900 to 1,000 miles, walking about 20 miles per day. In the 1870s, Bishop took up canoeing and paddled from New York to Florida in a 58-pound paper canoe. He was a founding member of the American Canoe Association in 1880 and earned a fortune growing cranberries in New Jersey. He died and was buried in Tom's River, New Jersey in 1902. In his will, he left $30,000 to fund a library in Dover, New Jersey to be run by women. It was eventually established in 1941. Through the writings of Nathaniel Holmes Bishop, he inspired others in the future to also set their sights on crossing continents on foot. He established a legacy of adventure and generosity that has lasted through the ages.
With that, this is Davy Crockett, and this is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I hope you run fast and far, enjoy life, get outdoors, and most of all, stay safe and don't take unnecessary chances. <laughs>